we typically hear, we do uh, Lectio Continua. That's a nice theological name to say. We kind of look at a book and we go chapter by chapter. We kind of usually go in order. Now at Advent, things like that, we'll have themes or when we do our core values, there's themes, but there's kind of a series. This is a one-off sermon. Um, and it is, and, and if you like roller coaster rides, buckle up because we are gonna, we're gonna be in Genesis and we're gonna be in Revelation and we're gonna be in a lot of places in between. I'm gonna make a case to you today, something that um, about a year ago, my I have a, a person that is an intercessory prayer partner for me. So I meet with this person every couple of weeks. What's going on? How are you doing? What's the Lord showing you? What's the Lord doing in you? And there was this, these things that are just, they're there, but I can't put my finger on them. There's these things that God wants to show me. And I'm not, it's not like God wants to show me as opposed to anyone else. That's not it. Um, but sometimes I just, I just need to be able to say in a sentence, what I believe the scriptures are saying, but there's these two, they're, they're kind of two things and they're kind of, they're, they're related, but they're off. One of them is cooked. The other one's not. We'll get there some other time. But the one that's cooked, I want to share with you today. And it is, it is so exciting. You probably already know it. I'm probably slow. That's fine. But this is, this is something that speaks to the whole history of God with his people and to you today. So I'm going to give you a, a, a thing to be thinking about because I'm going to be, there's going to be times when you're like, what in the world is he really? Uh, huh? So I'm just going to give you the thought to be thinking about throughout the whole, and it will come around, I promise. Here's the thought, and I'm going to, I'm going to tell you a brief story so that you understand what I mean by the thought. Years ago, I wrote something that was about my journey to forgive my dad, okay? Now, it was more my unforgiveness than it was his sin. Okay, he, he did one thing bad. He left my parent, he left me, my, my mom, that kind of stuff. But I, I put a bunch of other stuff on him. And it took me decades to really come to grips with the fact that to forgive someone doesn't mean to say, I forgive you and you're done. It's like Jesus, he is risen. He's in the present and ongoing state of having been risen. So learning to forgive was, I need to learn to forgive again and again and again. I, today, I'm gonna live forgiveness. Tomorrow, I'm gonna live forgiveness. Yesterday, I live forgiveness. So I wrote this and I sent it to him. And he read it, and, he, and, and we talked right after, and I'm, I'm, I'm shaking like a little boy. Like, what's he going to think? Because I don't want him to think that I'm saying anything negative about him. I'm actually speaking to my own negative experience. And he said two things. One, um, there's some events that you talk about that I remember differently. And I'm like, that's okay. My first line in the whole, in the whole uh, composition was, um, as I remember it. Because you tell yourself the same thing over and over again, and you convince yourself. And then the second thing he said was this because I had no idea how important I was. That's not arrogance. He was saying, as a, as a man, an average man who made average mistakes in, a, in an average life and had an average kid, he had no idea how much importance I put on his role as my father in our relationship. He had no idea how important he was. So I wanna, I wanna, I wanna say to you, this is not an accusation, it is an assumption. I don't think you have any idea how important you are not just to God, not just to your family, but to the world itself. And I'm gonna make a case today. The question, the, the, the title of the message has changed a little bit, but it said, did, did you know, or do you know, do you know how important you are? I'm gonna show you today. And it's a roller coaster ride. We're gonna go, and I'm gonna, if, you, if English is your second language, I'm gonna apologize right up front. My name is Trent Walker, and I'm gonna lose you because I'm gonna go a little fast. I got a little caught up today. Uh, in the first service, I'm going to get a little caught up again because 
there's so much to cover, and this is important stuff. So I will, and those of you who take notes, get your pen ready, and I will try to give you all the scripture references, but there will be many. Let's pray. Lord, courage, I guess, is what I'm asking for. Um, it was easy to do it once. It's hard to do it again. Um, I want only what you want to say to your people because they are your chosen people. This is not my message for them. This is your message for us. So stand in my shoes, give me your thoughts and speak with my mouth so that your people hear only what you want them to hear and give all of us eyes to see, ears to hear and hearts to receive what you want us to see and to hear and receive. Remind us, Lord, that this, the church, not this church, but the church is a supernatural institution ordained and established by you. And help us walk out of here today knowing better what it means that we are your bride, your body, and your church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, a very familiar passage to most of us these days is 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Um, it's, it's one that you're familiar with. This will not be on the screen, but it just says this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now, I want you to notice, because we're in a weird time in our world. The last 10, maybe 20 years, the, it, it's like an exponential curve. I mean, if you just think back, most of us who are kind of my age, if you're in your 40s, 50s, or 60s, you look back 10 years, and what culturally, societally, uh, civilizationally, we would, there were a whole bunch of things that we kind of went, you know, that's probably not, nah, nah, that's not probably a good thing. And in just 10 years, not only is that no longer not a good thing, but it's or not a bad thing, or it's no longer a bad thing. Now it's a good thing, and we're encouraged, if not ordered, to celebrate it. So things have changed. Our culture has changed significantly in the last decade or two. And here, God says, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So who is he calling on to heal a culture, a land, a nation, a civilization? Is he calling on all the people that are out there, quote unquote, sinning and trying to, trying to take us away? No, he's calling on his people. We, we'll get right to that in Matthew, we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. It's not, I can't ask someone to worship a God and to bend their will to a God that they don't even acknowledge exists. But how dare me as a follower of Jesus Christ who, who does know that God exists, how dare me acquiesce to everything else and to say, well, I'm just not gonna do what God called me to do because it's just easier to get along, to go along, to get along. Um, that he, uh-uh, there's no hope. For a civilization, if the church loses its faith, and there never has been, and I'm going to show you, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, and 13 through 16 says, this is early in Jesus' ministry. He walks up to it, and he's talking to his disciples, a bunch of fishermen, and he says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if, a, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, how do we see salt? 
Okay, well, if, you, if you're trying to be really healthy, you probably have switched from, you know, the Morton salt with the little girl with the umbrella and the, and the iodized salt, the little granule salt. You probably moved away from that to Himalayan salt or Celtic sea salt or something like that. Okay, with all the minerals, good. But we see salt as something, it's a seasoning that we add to food to give it more flavor. These fishermen saw it completely differently. When Jesus is talking to his disciples, Peter in particular, who's a fisherman, he says that you are the salt of the earth. What did they use salt for? It preserved. It kept meat and fish from going rancid. It was something they would catch the fish, they would clean the fish, they would hang them up. And then they would, after they dry, they would put them on a table and they would mash salt into it so that it, every molecule was permeated with salt and it would, it, would, it, it would stay good for weeks, if not months. So it was a way of preserving something so it didn't become rancid. And you and I, the people of God, the people called by his name, the people that, 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 that confess Christ as Lord, we are the preservation agent for humanity, for the earth, for all of creation, everything. And I don't know why God chose to use us as the vehicle, but we are a supernatural institution established and ordained by God to bring saltiness to the earth. And if we lose our faith, if we lose our saltiness, it's just like you throw it on the ground and it's like, you've all been after the winter and you put a lot of salt on your driveway and, it, and then you shovel it off and it gets pushed off and, and your grass right along the side of the driveway dies, that salt that's kind of on the path trampled underfoot. That is not what we're made for. He also tells us, we know that Jesus says, I am, he, Jesus says this in John, he says, I am the light of the world. But you know that, that he tells us that we are too? He says that you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm gonna let it. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. That, you may, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Not glorify you, but glorify your Father in heaven. These two things, salt of the earth, you know, you would say, oh, he's the salt of the earth. He's the salt of the earth. He's the salt. They've become so colloquial that they've lost what Jesus is telling us. He is telling us, if we're the salt of the earth, that we preserve humanity, that there is no hope for humanity without God's grace exhibited through his people. And light, we are the light of the earth. Think about light. We've talked about this before, but there's no such thing as a flash dark. I can't come in here and bring out a thing from, from you know, on one of the infomercials with the bell and howl and come. I'm gonna make you dark. Because light and dark don't work that way. Darkness is darkness because there is no light. You bring any light in and it, and it, it draws your attention. I grew up in a house in East Grand Rapids. It was the oldest house in East Grand Rapids. The, the Reeds Lake was named after the guy that built that house. There's a huge oak tree still standing, not an oak tree, a walnut tree, a black walnut tree standing in the front yard. I know I'm going fast, but there's a lot to cover. There used to be this amusement park on the other side of Reeds Lake called Ramona. And there's still a medical center called Ramona, but Ramona Park. And there's a woman that lived in the house that I grew up in who worked at that park. And at night, in the, it, it, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, when she would get done in the summer working at the park, her dad would hang a lantern in that walnut tree. It's an old legend in the city that I grew up in. <clears throat> and uh, she would walk home 
even through Hoden Pile Woods, she would be able to see that light four and a half miles away and walk all the way around the lake, guide herself home by a light hanging in a tree. And there weren't street lights back in the 1800s. There, it, wasn't like, it wasn't like there was all this uh, light pollution. She could guide herself home in the middle of the night by looking at a light. That is what it means to be the light of the earth. There is something. Imagine how dark it would be if there were no light how dark our civilization or the world would be if there wasn't any truth. How, what would it be like if God's people just went away? You think it's bad now? Imagine a world with no truth, no love, no mercy, no grace, no peace, no hope. And he's telling us, you are the light of the world, but on top of that, light does something else. We know this now. Your grandma used to say in the summer, get outside, play. I'd be let outside at 10.30 in the morning. I wasn't supposed to come back until the dinner bell rang or my mom went, Trient Supper. She's Southern. T-R-E-E-A-N-T is my name. See, sunlight disinfects, produces vitamin D, which gets rid of pain, inflammation, and infection. So it's been real curious that don't go outside where light sterilizes. It's just a weird thing these days. But Jesus himself is telling you, telling me, telling us, telling anyone who's called by God's name, Christian, that you preserve humanity. You give hope, something to focus on, something to guide by to humanity. You disinfect humanity. And you produce something good. Now, this isn't just true of Christians. It's always been true of God's people. He set this whole thing up when he started with Abraham and he, and he was gonna make Abraham, he's gonna bless him and he's gonna make him a, a great nation that's gonna be descendants greater than the, you know, the, the, the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. But it was so that the world would see God at work in people and people would be drawn to him. He chose a people. But we now, those are the Israelites, but we now are his chosen people. Colossians chapter three, verses 12 through 14 say this. Therefore is God's chosen people, holy, H-O-L-Y, and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. And forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. The thing I want you to recognize is that you have been chosen by God, not just for individual salvation. And that is true. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not coming off on that. You, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing that in any way. God chose you to be his. He is your God. You're his child. That's chosen. But you've been chosen for a purpose. And that purpose is to represent the reign of God on this planet, in your family, to your neighborhood, in, West, in Zealand, in West Michigan, in Michigan, in the Midwest, in the United States, in the Western Hemisphere, in Western Europe, all around the world, in India, you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. You are God's chosen people, ordained by God, chosen by God, and made into God's, Jesus' bride and body in order to show the world that God is God and that there is hope. And if you look back just in what we've just done in the last seven weeks, the letters to the churches, the seven, letter, seven lessons from seven letters to seven churches in the book of Revelation. I've reminded you then, I'm gonna just I'll do it real quick right here, but all those churches that he spoke to, Jesus himself wrote a letter, gave it to John. John sent it off to the churches. And each of those churches, 
the, the state of the civil, or the, the fate of the civilization that they were part of depended on whether the church was faithful or not. So remember, those little city-states were kind of mini civilizations. Yes, they were all under the Greco, uh, Greco-Roman Empire, uh, certain things that they had to do. But each little city-state had its own culture, had its own views, had its own way of life. And I'll remind you that the two churches that he praised the most, that when Domitian, the new emperor, came in and he just ravaged Asia Minor, what we call Turkey, he just ravaged it. The two churches that he praised the most because they had been faithful, they lasted decades before their civilization fell. And the two that he came at hard, that he said, you better, oh, it's gonna be, you go, uh-uh. Laodicea is one of them that Pastor Chris preached on last week. Those two cities, not just the church, but those two cities went away within weeks or months of Domitian coming in. And if Ephesus, when he said that you're in danger, if you keep going what you're doing, what you're doing, you're in danger because they were part of a get-along culture. If you keep doing what you're doing, your lampstand, which represents the church, it's going to be taken away. And inside of a decade, the entire city, not just the church, but the entire city of Ephesus was picked up and moved from its spot. Where the church goes, so goes the civilization. And there'll be people that'll argue with me, and this is fine. I've done a lot of research. Rome, that's the one that they're gonna say, the Roman Empire fell when they converted to Christianity. Okay, you got a point. But did they? The government of Rome fell, but the civilization, our, our civilization is based on, the, that, that federalism is based on thinking that happened in the Roman Empire. The whole idea of a Senate and representative government all came from Rome. Um, it, yes, they converted to Christianity, but the reason the government fell is because the pile and decades and decades and decades of putrid sin, that is the, conse- the, the fall was the consequence. But, but the Roman civilization, Western civilization that, that God with his people raised up still exists today. If the church fails or falls, if the church loses faith, loses saltiness, the civilization goes down. And here's the case. Jeremiah 29, we love that chapter. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. But do you know when he gave that promise? The people of God had not celebrated the year of Jubilee for decades, hundreds of years. And God said, "Uh uh-uh. So he allowed, he told him it was going to happen, but he allowed Nebuchadnezzar, the demon-worshiping king of Babylon, the most powerful man on the planet, to come in and ravage Jerusalem and all all where the people lived and take the people captive and put them in Babylon. And this is what God says through the prophet Jeremiah to those people. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number. Do not decrease. And this, I'm going to stop with this. We got a lot to cover, but I'm going to stop with this next verse. But this is what I want to highlight. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. 
Some of you that have been around here a while will remember four years ago in the last major election cycle, the last presidential election cycle, we walked through several chapters in the book of Daniel. We called that series Thriving in Babylon because everyone was, what happens? What's gonna to happen to the United States of America? If this so-and-so wins, this person, if that person wins, that's what's gonna happen. Everyone was trepidant, not like today, because everyone's at peace now, right? Right, you're all hopeful, everything's. But we, we walked through and we showed how God used his people to change Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was a demon-worshiping king who then decided that he was a god, and he, 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 he told everybody that they must bend a knee and worship him. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? When he said, if you don't bend your knee and worship me, I'm gonna throw you into this fiery furnace, and he turned it up even hotter. And they said this, we're not gonna bend our knee, and you can throw us into the furnace, and our God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we're still not bending a knee. And Daniel, Daniel had these dreams and he kept warning Nebuchadnezzar that bad things are gonna happen if you don't turn to God, if you don't turn to God, if you don't turn to God, if you don't turn to God. Nebuchadnezzar was like, nope. So then he had to go off and become, he was judged and he, and he had a trial. He became like a wild animal for several years and he came back. And you know, the entire kingdom of Babylon had a conversion experience because of the people of God. They were faithful to God and his call and his law while they were living in exile. And Nebuchadnezzar, a demon worshiping king, issued a decree that there is only one God and he is the God that the Israelites worship. Now, two kings later, they'd kind of forgotten about it. And that was where the writing on the wall came. You've been poured out and measured and you've come up lacking. And within years, Babylon as a kingdom was gone because the people in Babylon were no longer being faithful to the God that has revealed himself to them. Same is true for us today. If we stop being faithful, if we go, no one wants us, fine. If we give up, Western civilization falls. If we remain faithful, it's got a shot. God wants his supernatural institution, his ordained and set aside people, his chosen people, holy and dearly loved, to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, gentleness, and patience, to forgive, to turn the other cheek, to love and not judge. There are countless other, Jonah, the book of, you know, Jonah in the belly of the fish, we all know. But Jonah was asked by God to go preach against, is what the word he used, against Nineveh. Nineveh is what we call Iraq today. He wanted the, 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 the Ninevites to repent and come to God. And Jonah hated them because they're his enemy. And he goes, nope, not going. So he, he ran away. Terrible things happen. He ends up getting thrown out onto the beach. And then he goes finally to preach to Nineveh. And Nineveh converts Nineveh turns around, they repent. And their judgment that had been promised to them was delayed for decades. And they finally turn away later. They, and, and Jonah on the beach, after they turn and they repent and their civilization is saved, Jonah on the beach is like, I knew you were gonna be merciful. Like, I knew you were gonna be God. Is that our attitude? Do we want people to pay? Or do we want them to receive the payment for their sin that comes from Christ? You could just look back even for a moment at the, at the, at the cycle of apostasy in Judges that, that each time God comes to his people and he says, you're messing up, turn around. Nope, okay, it's gonna get ugly, but it's not just ugly for them, it's ugly for all those that live around them too. And then when they turn around, God blesses and then they mess up again and they blah, 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 on and on and time and time again. You look at Ahab, King Ahab, a weak king in Israel. He married Jezebel who was a Baal worshiper. 
And, and she took over power and God sent Elijah to, to them to call them out and to say no more. She was having children sacrificed to a God and she, she wiped out all the prophets, the preachers of, of, of the one true God. And God said, uh-uh. Through Elijah and then Elisha, done, done. And he held a remnant. He had, had a few faithful people that he rebuilt with. As the people of God go, so goes the culture, so goes the civilization. Just a couple more. Sodom and Gomorrah. This is in uh, Genesis 18 is the part that I'm referring to. But, but look, and I know as soon as you bring that up, people are like, oh, you're going to talk about, nope. The sin that we all associate with Sodom was one of thousands. Three angels show up to Abraham. This is before the, he, his wife was pregnant with, with uh, Isaac and, and at old age, but shows up and says, you know, they're, 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 he shows them hospitality. They're going off to Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy them. And Abraham has a, has a fight with God. You're going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? Really? What if there are 50 righteous men in Sodom and Gomorrah? Okay, God says, for 50, I'll spare it. How about 45? For 45, I'll spare it. How about 30? 20. Gets down to 10. If, I can, if, you, if we find 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, their civilization survives. There weren't 10. They're destroyed. There are a lot more than 10 in West Michigan. There are a lot more than 10 in the Midwest. There are a lot more than 10 in the United States of America. There are a lot more than 10 in the Western Hemisphere. There are a lot more than 10 in Western Europe, Eastern Europe, Asia, India, China, Russia, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan. You have no idea how many faithful followers of Christ there are. And if we could all just understand that God has picked us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. If you want our civilization to survive and thrive, the only shot it has is if the church of Jesus Christ remains faithful. I am utterly convinced, and I cannot find a spot in scripture where that's not true. I can't find... A, the USSR, those of you my age, you'll remember that was the big enemy way back in the day. But that communist, that iron curtain, they called it, it fell finally, and much of it was attributed to praying and preaching pastors in the Reformed Church of Hungary. It fell because they resisted and they prayed. So if something needs to fall and is gonna fall, it's gonna be because God had faithful people. And if something is, is supposed, to, is supposed to, to, to turn and thrive, it's because God has faithful people. Proverbs eleven eleven says this, through the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. And Proverbs 14, 34 says this, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. There is much sin in our civilization. And I know you see it. Do I want Western civilization to be judged? Or do I want our nation, our way of life to be redeemed? I choose redemption. And the only shot our way of life, Western civilization has, 
for God to reveal himself to her is if we will humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, turn from our wicked ways so that God will hear us from heaven, will forgive our sins and heal our land. Lynn read a study this morning from Barna that says that in April and May nationwide, one-third of active Christians, they define active Christians as people that think that faith is important and go to church once a month, well, at least once a month. So that not a high bar. One-third of those people, and I get why someone might want, want to come to church right now in this environment with the, the virus and all that stuff, might not want to come to church in person. But almost every church has some way of joining virtually. One-third of quote-unquote active Christians stopped church attendance completely. Okay. Okay. But Scripture is pretty clear that it is very difficult to be faithful if you're not gathered with his chosen people. Not so that we can lord it over the rest of the world, but so that, so that God's light will shine. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, and bear with each other whatever grievances you have against one another, and forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all those virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity, and have your opinions vote, do all of those things. But what's going to save is not a candidate. What's going to save is the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away sin, that changes hearts, minds, and souls, and changes a civilization. As the civilization goes, sadly, so goes the church. But we can turn that. As the church goes, so goes the civilization. Scripture shows us that when the church fails, the civilization falls. Also shows us that when the civilization starts to, to pull the church in a direction, it's, it's yeah, we'll go, we'll go along to get along. We'll just, we'll just, we'll back off on this. We won't be about that. We won't think this and we won't do that. And, and God, it never goes well for the church or the civilization when the church does that. The only shot any civilization has is if his people remain faithful and they do what he asks us to do. Do not return evil with evil, but evil with kindness. Turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. All those colloquial sayings. Do not return evil with evil, but evil with kindness. Pray that God bless and that God prosper. Because even with God's judgment comes the promise of a turnaround. And God only judges because he loves. He never judges to smite. He judges so that people will turn. So if it's a time of judgment for us, pray that God will reveal himself. And if it's a time when God's going to reveal himself so that we're not judged and we have a chance, pray. Pray that God say, yes, Lord. Yes, indeed, there is a God and I'm not it. Let's pray together. Lord, I don't think we live day to day like we're nearly as important as you think we are. You call us your bride. 
and you say you're the head and we're the body. And we're supposed to do what the head tells us to do. Lord, give us courage and hunger for truth and hunger for faithfulness and hunger for your love in us, for us, and through us. Give us eyes to see how you see people because you dearly love them. And Lord, save Western civilization, redeem Western civilization, and reveal yourself so that everyone sees that you are God, you love them dearly, and you want something better for them. We pray this in Jesus' name for his sake and for your glory. Amen.